Hi everyone, we are here with the Leverage 10 Questions podcast. I am here with a couple of brilliant minds. Guys, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, I'm John Rogers, executive producer. Uh, Christiani, executive producer. This week we're going to be talking about episode 414, the experimental job. Uh, why don't we jump right into these fan questions, guys? Sure, let me take a look. All right, uh, let's see what you're asking. Since we've previously talked about how all the episodes of Leverage are based on actual events, can you elaborate just how much of this episode was based on fact? Uh, sure, a lot of it was. Yeah. Most of the episodes, uh, even if it's not based on one specific case, are cobbled together from a lot of our research. For example, the Dustmen are based on uh, several secret societies, uh, not one because that would be uh, that would be oh yes litigious. But litigious, yes. right? Uh, well, well, what's the old saying? If you steal from one source, it's plagiarism. If you steal from multiple sources, it's research. Research, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but uh, not only are there secret societies on campuses in America that can operate pretty much with free will because of the connection of their boosters and the, the people who graduated, uh, intelligence agencies, because of course um, uh, secret societies tend to be oriented around certain social classes of people and certain people with certain connections, intelligence agencies recruit pretty heavily from them. Uh, if you take a completely random example like the Skull and Bones, mm -hmm. uh, a fair number of former heads of you know, Central Intelligence Agency, various sundry intelligence agencies mm -hmm. all came out of the Yale uh, Skull and Bones, including George, both Bushes, actually. Yes. So uh, that, that aspect of it is absolutely real. And then, of course, Scott Veach did a lot of great research on um, the prisoner dilemma and uh, psychological researching and it actually... It addresses the next question. Why don't you read that? Sure. Uh, was the name Zilgram a combination of Zimbardo and Milgram? We're we are hoping, expecting the audience. Were you hoping, expecting the audience would pick up on this? We always expect the audience to pick up on it. <laughs> yes. There's always uh, the audience brain is huge and terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's fair to say that uh, uh, Milgram, especially, was part of that. Stanley Milgram was a social science uh, researcher, a social psychology researcher in the 1960s, who did obedience experiments at Yale in which uh, subjects were directed to administer an electric shock to someone when they gave a wrong answer. Uh, unbeknownst to them, the person they were giving electric shock to was, uh, was a confederate and was not actually being shocked. Uh, but the thing that was so horrifying about the experiment was how, with the willingness of people uh, to hurt uh, somebody they didn't know uh, based on an authority figure telling them to do so. And actually the effect was called obedience to authority. Yes. That's right. And by the way, you puked that out just like I usually puke out weird random stuff. I mean, that was that was super cool. That was usually I'm coming with some horrible thing out of the depths yeah. of my skull, and you just boom, you just bang that up. And of course, Zilgram did the famous, uh, pardon me, uh, Zimbardo did the famous Stanford prison experiment yes. where they actually, people saw, go like, could you build a prison in a university basement? Yeah, they did it. They actually did it. They, they, they did this experiment. Wow. They built a fake prison. They assigned... Um, the people, various sundry roles based on prisoner and guard uh, to show how you would stratify out and people would tend to uh, tend toward authority. And they actually had to stop the experiment. And there, there's questions about whether he let it go on too long. Right. Um, I guess the, 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 uh, the short answer is that people are sheep. People are, people are sheep <laughs> capable of violence. Uh, there's actually also re more recently, and I can't quite remember when this happened, uh, a middle school teacher or a high school teacher who did a similar experiment uh, to try to teach about propaganda who split his class up into blue-eyed and brown-eyed students mm -hmm. and then uh, started to create a denigratory uh, campaign, I believe, about blue-eyed students that quickly got, again, out of control. Right. That they eventually, this, the stool had to come in and stop. Yeah, oh it, really, there's, uh, there's an old saying, I can't remember who said it, is we are all looking for either um, a father or a fuhrer. 
And there's, wow. yeah, there's something to be said for a man on a horse, as it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something to be said for the fact that I, I think one of the themes of the show is we're not anti-authoritarian, but we're highly suspicious of centralized authority. Yes. Well, that takes us into our next question, also about Zilgram. Why did the team choose to let Conrad go and only focus on Travis Zilgram? Uh, you know what? It's it's a matter of you know the thing I say: a man's got to know his swing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to take down a kid who is only able to get away with it because he has the protection of the Central Intelligence Agency and actually picking a fight with the Central Intelligence Agency. <laughs> you know, you can only you can only go up against monolithic power blocks when you can carve off little sections of them. And I think that's one of the things we explore in the show is is hacking power structures. You know, system disruption is all about finding a weak point and applying pressure to it. And in this particular case, the CIA just had no weak points. Uh, it was much easier to go after the guy who made the actively insane and bad decisions right. in, the, in the field at the time. Uh, yeah, and, and actually, even though you could, you know, arguably the CIA was ultimately culpable here, you know, we went after the, the person that committed the crime uh, in the opening scene against this old man. And, yeah, and, and by the way, over. we're not anti-CIA. I like the CIA. They do a lot yeah. of good work, uh, particularly if they're recording this podcast. But, <laughs> but you know... People view organizations as these things or these single decision-making objects, and they're not. At any point in any organization, any corporation, any university, for example, uh, you you will find one person who will make a bad decision, and that's the person. It doesn't necessarily reflect poorly on the organization. Um, And I think, actually, you could argue that once Conrad saw the guy become a liability and out of control, he cut him loose. That was the right thing to do. Well, I know a lot of fans are going to be wondering about this question. Is Conrad going to become a recurring main villain, someone that the team must take down in episodes to come? I'm always torn on these because it's like, yes, watch. Right. But this is cheap. <laughs> no, we're not well, going to lie to you. Never, I mean, look, I think we, he's, we, we'll always leave the door open. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we actually have an interesting idea for season five with him. Yeah. Um, oh. But, but you know, we already have a, a master villain this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we have to deal with Jack Latimer and all that right. details. Oh, yeah. So, so in episodes to come, meeting this winter yeah, season. Yeah, that's what they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, uh, that is much more of a, a sign that, you know, uh, it's about consequences this season. It's a sign that they are playing at a level where they're starting to attract attention that even they can't really handle. Uh, here's actually a production question. You shot at the Reed College. How did that location turn out for you? What were, what were some of the pros and cons of shooting at, at, at the college? The pros were clearly it was a leafy uh, East Coast looking yeah. uh, campus. It matched what we wanted, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I think that and that came through the episode. Uh, you know, we as you know we shoot the, the show in Portland, and this just looked like an East Coast. Yeah, campus. we want to thank Reed College because again, all the location people in Portland and Oregon, they all got other way yeah. for us, and, and they really went out of their way to make sure we felt welcome and gave us access. Um, um, there weren't a lot of cons. We didn't have to really work around the, the, the well, schedule. I, I, I think there were some groundskeeping issues. Yeah, and, I, and yeah. I think that there were, you know, it's always hard when you're on an active college campus, even though it was in the summer. Yeah. I think a lot of, I guess, Reed College students don't actually graduate on, on time. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Say that in public. <laughs> Apparently, Reed College students are slow and they're, don't get... Really, Chris? Really? They're, they're uh, on some kind of five or six-year plan. I, I, did, a, I did a five-year plan. <laughs> 
Uh, so, you know, that, that's always challenging. Generally, it gave us exactly what we needed, which was a college that made you think it was on the East Coast, which was great. And we've got a, a couple Elliott-centered questions coming up. Do you guys want to tackle those? Yeah, you should probably, you should probably read them in a, a high, <laughs> squirrely voice. Like, uh, <laughs> now, when Elliott was being interrogated, were his responses actually drawn from his past, or were they scripted for the con? Um, the way we generally tend to assume this is that Nate tells, Nate puts the plan together, and it's up to each person's uh, viewpoint and style to execute mm -hmm. it the, his way. So you can assume that Elliot was talking about himself there. Yeah, absolutely. Or not. Or not. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> makes the show more interesting. Yes, 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 yes that's it. There you go. Uh, did the interrogation affect Elliot more than we know, and we see those effects in the future? We did. We do standalones. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think that uh, the episode kind of opened a little uh, window into his soul, and uh, but you know. You're not going to necessarily see that play out in well, future episodes. Well, it, it's because when we get these glimpses of darkness, and it's like, oh, that's shattering to us, you have to remember, we write this character as if this is something he has dealt with for a long time, and his he is in a different place right now. He's in a place where, even though he knows he's damned, he is trying to do good. Uh, not to redeem himself, but to just, that's his path now. And so he can look at that in an objective way, in a way that he even couldn't first and second season. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, this is also, it's our big thing, is you should, in theory, be able to watch a Leverage episode completely at random and have a pretty good idea of who the characters are and what's going on. So we, and there's also big Leverage episodes happening in between the episodes you see. There's other jobs going on, mm -hmm. you know, that we will read about in the, uh, the tie-in novels and comic books. <laughs> so nice. here's something that I want to know. Oh, that's you. Oh, great. Will we ever find out an exact number of people Elliot has killed? No. No. You will never see Wolverine in his Ponzi nightgown running into the woods. <laughs> Uh, crying and, oh. and because his bone claws showed up. It just it just wow. ruins. That's great. By the way, not only is it good for you, for the people who get what I'm saying right now, they are losing their minds. Really are. All right, you just don't talk about that stuff. That is just cool stuff that happened in the past that makes him cool. And as soon as you start defining it, it becomes infinitely less cool in your head. So, yeah. Ponzi night show. Just focus on that. Right. Assume it, it was a lot. And assume some of them, uh, he said it in the speech. That was, you know, Scott Veach wrote a great speech for him, and, and yeah. Christian Kane just teed off on it. You know, he made a lot of bad calls, and a lot of, made a lot of good calls, made a lot of bad calls. All right, what's number nine? Was the CIA file on Elliot Hardison a plant or an oversight on the team's part? It was neither. Yeah. It was neither. It was, ordinarily, the team does not worry about people tumbling their fingerprints or any other ID like that. But this was a way of showing, because the group had access to CIA files, they had higher level files than most people get. Right. You know, this is the sort of thing where if Bonanno were to get fingerprints, they would come up empty. But the CIA has got stuff squirreled away deep in the database, particularly on Elliot, uh, because he is still semi-active yeah. uh, in doing stuff for the government on a sort of a freelance basis. You just, you can't scrub that out. And that's why these guys were able to get that file. And it kind of answers the question earlier of why they didn't go straight at the CIA. Yeah. Because the CIA has more resources. It's yeah. a lot more, lot we, more dangerous. We are a scrappy group of uh, thieves and, and system disruptors. You know, you really don't want to, you don't want to tick off entire nations. Although we did steal one. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Ten. Was there deeper motivation for Zilgram's actions? Do you think he was doing something for a greater good or was he a psychopath? It's not necessarily two separate uh, things. Also, what was the motivation for the CIA to protect or endorse this project? Well, well one at a time, um, 
I think uh, if you look at the economy right now and, this, and the current job prospects for <laughs> college graduates, I think that will answer your question. Is I think I'll take a job right from there. the CIA, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think we're approaching a, a, a moment in history where we might have kind of a Hunger Games going on <laughs> for, 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 a, for liberal a, arts for graduates. graduates to get a high-paying job in the future. So I would say that that probably... So they're going to hand you like your philosophy degree and say, may fortune favor you? Is that in the book? Stay away from the Mockingjays. Yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think ambition really is the, is yeah. the, is the short answer. Now, did he think he was doing something great and good? He was a psychopath. You know, people never think they're bad guys. And, and, you know, there's always a point to these experiments where if you believe you're doing something for your country, you're doing something for a greater good, you know, John Gatling, who invented arguably the first machine gun, uh, really genuinely thought he was inventing the greatest instrument for peace that had ever been created. On the assumption that this was such a terrible weapon, you needed fewer soldiers and no one would possibly go into the field against these things. It was essentially, in his mind, the gun equivalent of mutually assured destruction, like when we had nukes in the, in the yeah. 60s and 70s. What he did not anticipate was, Inbred kings had a lot of dudes to put in the field <laughs> and a lot of money with which to buy machine guns. And then also that there would be like, some guys would buy machine guns and some countries would be like, right, we can just charge at them. And it just didn't work. He does not anticipate that. But this was a guy who created the greatest killing machine, certainly of the century, honestly thinking he was doing a good thing. Wrapped by the fact that, he, that it was not used that way. So, you know, you can certainly argue that this kid is like, I am doing an experiment to help the CIA that manages to break bad people so that we can get terrorists. You know, there were experiments, secret experiments using LSD in the 60s uh, where the government dosed people up. You know, the, in New York, I think in the 60s, they actually released live viruses in the New York subway that were uh, harmless, but they still infected people so they could check the spread. You can make you make a lot of decisions justifying things when you believe it's for the greater good, and so that doesn't necessarily make you a psychopath. And uh, what was the motivation for the CIA to protect endorse this project? While well, this is the thing we we're just talking about, they run a lot of these little projects. Mm -hmm. You know, they do private think tanks do. When I was at McGill, uh, it turned out that a bunch of research into uh, grain elevator uh, explosions that the engineering school was doing actually turned out to be linked to fuel air explosives. Mm. Uh, these things. Wow. Yeah, yeah. These things. Uh, there's a lot of backdoor research going on at a lot of different universities. And, and, and you know, the other thing, if you ever want to, in a, in a uh, university position, if you ever want to get money for your research, just say it has a defense component. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden, money will rain out of the sky. You are trying to uh, keep your campus open and cover up your coach's profligate uh, need for young children. And you need to, uh, you need that money to come in to keep those lawyers going. <laughs> Don't go to college, kids. Well, I think that's <laughs> learn a that, trade. I think if there was one theme that ran through this podcast, it's yes. don't go to college. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. We'll see. We'll see you next week for ten more questions. Thanks for writing in. We appreciate you watching.